Acts chapter 4 is where we'll be starting out. And I'm going to kind of continue um, talking a little bit about finances. I think finances are always on my mind in January because I always have to do stuff getting ready for the business, you know, the annual business meeting and putting together all the financial reports and stuff. You got all your tax stuff that you're doing. And so I think my mind is always there. And typically if I preach on this subject, it seems like it's around this time of year. But I do think it's important because it does affect a lot of our lives. And, uh, you know, last week, you know, we talked about just the importance too of keeping money in its proper place. Obviously, it's a necessity in the world that we are living in today, but we always want to keep it in its proper place, keep our priorities right. And what I want to talk about today is Christian liberty and giving because I do believe very strongly in Christian liberty. I also think it's good to give. And in many churches, it's not uncommon for you to really get browbeat on the giving and, uh, you know, guilt trip, all that kind of stuff. And it almost seems to kind of take away from Christian liberty. And uh, we don't want to do that. I do not want people, I don't think it's good for people to give grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't know about you, but even as a pastor, I like a cheerful giver too, because the ones who give grudgingly and of necessity too, they're always the ones that are going to be the biggest pain in the necks in the church and, you know, act like they can run you because they give their, you know, their offerings and things like that. And I don't want to deal with that. But people who give in the way God wants them to give, typically too, they're not that way. And so it's very important. I've told the story before and I'll tell it again about the guy who complained to the pastor about the church buying four brooms. And he just thought that was a waste of money and not a good way to uh, use the church finances. Was four brooms really necessary to spend on the, you know, to use the church money for? And he was talking to the treasurer about it and was like, you know, I don't really understand why the guy was so upset. And he said, Pastor, wouldn't you be upset too if all the money you had given in the last year was used to buy four brooms? And that typically is the uh, way people like that are. But I want to I want to show you a passage in Acts 4.31, a familiar passage, but it says, uh, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness, and the multitude of them that were believed, that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that... Uh, Neither said any of them that awe of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces, prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this passage that we just read right here, this is one, too, that dispensationalists use to prove dispensationalism many times. Okay, And forgive me for not wanting to take an opportunity to just smoke dispensationalism again. I was enjoy being at a conference this week where it got smoked quite a bit. But I would like to add to the smoking of dispensationalism. And because um, I had somebody just recently, you don't believe in dispensations? 
You know, well, what do you think they were doing in Acts chapter 4 when they are giving all their money? Do you think God wants you to sell everything you have and give it to the church? Why aren't you teaching the people in your church to sell everything they have and give it to the church? And I thought, I don't know why I'm not teaching that. But anyway, but no, it, that's not what the scripture here is teaching. That's not what we're seeing in this passage right here. This, is, this was not a command for that dispensation for them to sell everything they have and give it to the church. Okay? Now, I, per, I personally believe that the reason that they did was because they wanted to. You know why? Because we do have Christian liberty. If So if some of you want to sell all your houses and everything you have and give it to the church, I won't stop you. Okay, now, I'm not telling you, and you probably shouldn't. Don't, don't ruin yourself. You know, don't, don't just, you know, don't do that. But at the same time, proof that this was not some command for that current dispensation or a transition through dispensations or something like that is look at what it says in the very next chapter in chapter five. After we see this take place, it says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Watch this. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. So notice this was Ananias' to do with as he saw fit. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira was they lied about it. That was the problem. That was the sin. It wasn't that they didn't give everything when they were supposed to in that current dispensation. No, it was that they lied about it. That's what's wrong. And here's what people have to understand about the book of Acts. It is a historical book. It is telling us what happened. These stories are not commands that we are required to follow they actually made a lot of mistakes in the book of Acts. Now, obviously, when they're preaching and they're filled with the Holy Ghost, you better believe we pull a lot of doctrine from those passages. It's okay for us to use the uh, use principles from certain things we see in the book of Acts. Like, for example, too, the you know going house to house. People will often bring up, you know, going house to house. Now, I've heard some people preach against street preaching saying we're commanded to go house to house for soul winning, but it's like, that's not a command to, that's like the only way that you can preach the gospel to people. And I don't think street preaching is the most effective method. I think the way most people street preach is not effective. But don't go to the verse about them going house to house and use it to preach against street preaching. That's not properly using the scripture. That's just saying, hey, look, this is something that Paul did. You know what? We should do the same thing too. And by the way, he didn't just go soul winning from house to house. He taught them all the doctrines publicly and from house to house. And sometimes as a pastor, you need to do that where there's people who, especially if they're new to the church, they're new to Christianity, where you might need to spend some personal time with them, kind of going over some basics that everybody else in the church is real familiar with. So these are, these are principles but people often take them, weaponize them, uh, use them to beat people over the head. And that's ridiculous. That's not what we're supposed to do. But I do believe in Acts chapter 4, the Holy Spirit did lead them to do what they did. But I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. But think about this, okay? The, the work that they were about to do 
in sending these apostles out and go preach the gospel everywhere. And, and we see many references to these works being funded. We see the Apostle Paul often talking about these things and acknowledging laboring or in giving that people had done that enabled him to do the work that he was able to do. But understand, this work they were beginning to do was literally going to change the world. The rewards are still being reaped for what they started then. Think about that. The early generations, they, they always thought long into the future. Okay? The rise of fatalistic dispensationalism, it has changed this concept. It's foreign to us today. We are not building for the long term. We are not thinking long term. It's a survivalist mentality that we've had going on for the last hundred or so years. And it has not been good. It is, uh, we are really going backwards in a lot of ways. And we need, to, we need to turn this thing around. But watch this. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. I want to show you this too. This verse is often uh, misused. Okay? This, is a, this is a verse that people will often use to teach eternal security. Okay? Now, we believe in eternal security, but we don't need to use passages that aren't about eternal security to prove eternal security. But I want to show you this passage because it's often misused. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Uh, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, your fellowship in the gospel. When we, uh, the Bible often will talk about like, you know, the fellowship, the communication, things like that. That's in sharing in just not, not just the expense, but even the efforts and things too, just the support. And we do. That's why we like, one of the reasons we like to fellowship with churches is one, we're edified, but they are also edified. And our fellowship can make us stronger. It can make the work that we do stronger because we don't want people dropping out, flopping out, giving up. We want works to continue. You know, uh, you know, and so we want this church, the work that it does to continue. You know, I fellowship this week with several other churches down at Revival Baptist. I hope that, you know, any, my presence there, my fellowship there helped encourage that church, the other pastors there, to keep doing what they're doing because a lot of people are quitting today. And we need the work to go on. That's what, and not just the work here, but we need other works to go on. And so he's talking about the fellowship of the gospel. And he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And often people will apply that to salvation. But if, if we, and we're not going to take time to do a deep dive in Philippians 1. I preached about this before when I went through Philippians. But he's referring to the work of the ministry that had been done there in Philippi. That that work that, it was, that was being persecuted. Paul was in prison when he wrote this epistle. He also says in Philippians 2 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's referring to physical salvation because they are under persecution. And there was a fear that the work that they were doing there was going to be stopped. And Paul said, the work that you're doing here, it's going to continue until the day of Jesus Christ. And I believe that what they started, the work that they did, is continuing. And proof of that too is we all still benefit. We all still are encouraged by things that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I wonder how many people have used Philippians 4.13 to motivate them to keep on going when times are tough when he said, I can do all things through Christ. 
which strengtheneth me. That was something that Paul wrote to that church in Philippi. And so understand, while the, that, the very church, the first church of Philippi, whatever it was called, if they named themselves anything, while they might not still be there today, the work that they did is a work that has continued and has spread out. And I believe you know, we are a part of it. And we are beneficiaries of that work. And so that's very important. Uh, to to understand these things. And so, like I said, I don't have a lot of time to prove all the details about that not being about salvation, but it was about their ministry. And so think about it. These people who sold everything they have and gave it to, to getting the gospel ministry that was centrally located in Jerusalem to the rest of the world, in reality, they have been receiving residual rewards for churches everywhere. The work that we do, they are a part of it. What they did, the money that they gave during that time, we are a direct result of what was done. I mean, folks, do you really think they had houses or land or anything that was worth more than what they accomplished through that? Absolutely not. So one can only imagine the rewards they're going to receive when they get into heaven. Remember what Jesus said about you know, how the, uh, people who have forsaken houses and land and things like that are going to receive a hundredfold. So it was definitely worth it. But here's another thing too. Another reason, I, uh, I think a very practical reason why the Holy Spirit motivated them to do this, but that is Jerusalem was a ticking time bomb that was all going to be destroyed and taken over by the Romans in that generation. So hanging on to those things would not have accomplished anything. Think about it. If they'd have been selfish, like, you know what? I want to hang on to this land. I want to have it for my children. I want to have it for my grandchildren. Guess what? Their children, their grandchildren wouldn't have had it. You know why? Because they were. it was all going to go away anyway. It was all going to be destroyed. The Romans were going to take it over. They would have died with their land and no rewards if they'd have held on to these things. They All they did, now they didn't know this, and that's why, too, they will be rewarded as though they gave up an inheritance that was going to go on for generations. But understand, they didn't, they didn't know this, but God knew when He led them through the Holy Spirit and they, they trusted Him and did what the Holy Spirit led them to do, all God did was led them to part with those things a little early. They got rid of these things a little bit early and instead of receiving nothing in eternity, they're going to receive rewards that we can't even imagine. So, you know... This, to take this and to make this like something that, uh, you know, in a different dispensation, they were all required to do this, that's ridiculous. Chapter 5 proves otherwise. And so, when it comes to giving under this new covenant, this is something that should be done willingly and from the heart, and they gave willingly and from their heart. That, that was their heart at that time. They wanted to do this, and they did it. It says in 2 Corinthians 9 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower 
both minister bread for you for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth uh, through us thanksgiving to God for the administration of this service, not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. So notice in this passage here where he says not to give you know, uh, sparingly or uh, grudgingly of necessity, that he quotes an Old Testament passage about giving. And I find that interesting too, because many people who are, you know, want to be, the reality is they just want to be stingy with their money. They cry foul whenever you go to the Old Testament and use scriptures from there about tithes and things like that. But it's like, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul often, when talking about giving, would refer to the Old Testament. In fact, that's exactly what he did uh, when, he, when he talked about you know, paying ministers and things like that. He went to the Scriptures, Thou shalt not muzzle the oxen, tread the corn. Now, what's he doing? Is he putting these people under a law? Or is he taking a principle from God's Word and applying it to, to instruct us? That's what he's doing. So many people, they look at the law as something that when Jesus died on the cross, he like tore it all out and threw it away. But no, the reality is we can still get guidance from there to help us know what we're supposed to do. Because, again, too, we're just kind of naturally carnal and selfish and all these different things. And so going to the law, it can help us know what to purpose in our heart and how we should purpose things in our heart. And, but it, uh, there are, in many, many places in the New Testament, when it's talking about giving, it will make application to Old Testament uh, passages. So, while many things changed under the new covenant, God never wanted giving to go away. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, in the book of Hebrews, it's showing us what changed from the old covenant to the new covenant. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The book of Hebrews is trying to show the Jews what, what to change, what's been replaced, what hasn't been replaced. We see things where it said, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. They weren't supposed to quit assembling under the new covenant. In fact, you know, the writer, he was saying so much the more as we see the day approaching. You all keep the assembling together up. That was a good thing they had in the Old Testament. Now the sacrifices, don't do those anymore. You know, the Sabbath days, the holy days, the feasts, don't do those things anymore. But look at this in Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore... Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name, but to do good and to communicate. That is not talking about verbal communication. Okay? I don't think I need to prove that to you. But when we see that word communicate in the New Testament, it is, it's often referring to, it's like a word for like communion. To, to share in and to participate in financially so but to do good and communicate forget not for with such sacrifices god is well pleased so understand what when we give to a mission okay you know what we're doing we are communicating with them we are communing in their labors that they're doing we're, we are helping supply needs so they can do the work of the ministry in these other places and that communication that we do that giving that we do you know, when, when the church pays me from the tithes and offerings that come from people in this church, you all are communicating with me. In other words, you are communing 
uh, communicating in, in my labors. So anything that I am doing for the cause of Christ, if you all are giving in this church, you all receive some of the rewards too. So anything I'm accomplishing, whether, you know, whether it be even in my personal soul winning, in my personal efforts that I make during the week, even in things that I do in the online world, it's the, it's the giving of this church that enables me to do that. And while, you know, with your full-time jobs and your schedules, you might not be able to do those things. If you are communicating in this church, you are communing with me in those rewards. So you all should hope I get a lot of rewards. Okay. You know, people in churches ought to be cheering their pastors on if he's doing a lot. It's like, man, I, ho- I hope he gets a lot of rewards. Just like you hope somebody that you invest, if you invest money in stocks or a mutual fund or something like that, you hope that person you're giving that money to is really successful because if he's really successful, you're really successful. You will, you will benefit from that. And it's the same thing with the work of the ministry. So if there is, if there's a mission work, if there is somebody out there doing the work of the Lord and you do something financially giving to them that enables them to reach people with the gospel, you are a partaker of the fruits. And not even just in the giving part. But um, one of the things too that I plan on doing in our weekly challenges throughout uh, this year is I, am, I want to encourage everyone at different times to do things to purposely encourage other people in other ministries that are doing the work of the Lord. You know why? Because we all like to bring up that verse in Second John about those bringing a false gospel, not to bid them Godspeed. Why? If you bid them Godspeed, if you encourage somebody who is promoting a false gospel, you are partaking of their evil deeds. So then wait a minute. If I encourage somebody who is spreading the gospel, then wouldn't I be a partaker of their good deeds? That's exactly what that would mean. And so the reality is, anything that we can do good to encourage people that are doing a great work for the Lord, I I personally believe that we are we become a partaker, and it is it's encouraging. Giving one of the things that I, I would like for us to do as a church this year sometimes too, you know, just when it comes to different, uh, you know, maybe different pastors, missionaries, people that we know that are doing the work of the Lord, even just us as a church, if we were to do something like just like get a card, sign it and send them a gift certificate to go out to dinner or something like that. Okay. Listen, getting a, getting a gift certificate to go out to dinner is a blessing no matter what, because who doesn't like a free meal? Is a free meal not a blessing? Of course it's a blessing, but there's something about getting things like that from people that it, it's not expected from. Because uh, what, what it does too, is it shows that, hey, somebody noticed the work I'm doing. It's very easy to feel very alone in the ministry sometimes and unappreciated for what you do. But you know, one thing I do try to, I, I don't do it as often as I should, but often too, you know, you know in social media and online, on Twitter, I'll see things that are going on in different ministries or maybe even people being attacked, okay? There's been more than once when I've seen people being attacked by everybody on Twitter, you typically for what they do are saying right, for taking a right stand, and I'll send people like that an email or something like that, just trying to encourage them. Because I know what it's like to get attacked. I know what it's like to have everybody mad at you. And what are you trying to do? I'm just trying to encourage them. If I can have any part and them continuing to move forward, I believe I'm a partaker, 
in the good that they do. And so I think it would be good for us as a church to do something like that. To just every once in a while, just single somebody out and be a blessing to them. Somebody that, you know, they, or, you know, and getting that blessing from someplace you wouldn't expect. It is, it's encouraging. When we started this church, we had several churches that did, that gave financially to us some monthly support, some one-time gifts. And we did, we received some gifts from people that I didn't even know, really even knew who I was. And when I got those things, while, listen, I'm not going to lie, we were so stinking broke, it wasn't even funny when we started the church. But the, you know, and, it, and let me tell you, that money was a blessing. But in reality, just the fact these people were thinking about us, praying about, praying for us, that encouraged me more than anything. That was that was a blessing. And so while the you know while the struggles were real, and while the giving would kind of re, would relieve some of that struggle, the reality is the struggle sometimes just wears on you, and is what makes you want to just kind of give up and throw in the towel. But these people that did these things, it just it gave me another boost to just keep going, keep on working harder. And I believe we ought to do that kind of thing as a church. And the Bible says, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I like that term, well pleased. Isn't that what he said to G- about Jesus after the baptism? And I've talked about this before. That is a word we use today. Uh, like many people, when they use the word, I'm proud of my children. You know, while pride is always bad in the Bible, we are using that word in the way the scriptures use the term well pleased. And so obviously God's not going to, you know, you know, God does not speak that way. I'm proud. But the way our culture often uses that word, you know, it's in the same way that God says well pleased. I want God to feel that way about me. I want God to feel that way about our church. And if God is well pleased with giving, communicating with the saints, sacrifices like that, I like pleasing God. I I want Him to look at this church and say, I am well pleased with the work that they did. And so, these are very, these are very important. So, what about tithing? Okay, what about tithing? Well, here's something we need to understand. The tithe is not something that we should enforce as a church. And some churches do. I don't even believe it's something we ought to browbeat people over. I, I think that's contrary to what we see in the New Testament. Okay? Again, but we see every man as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. But again, we do see you know, Old Testament principle often used. I'm not going to take time to read it, but I already referred to 1 Corinthians 9, where the Apostle Paul brought up, not, you know, what, is, what did Moses say? Don't muzzle the ox that treadeth the corn. A labor is worthy of his reward. You say, well, are we, are we robbing God? Are we robbing God in this New Testament dispensation? And I'm using that term sarcastically. But are, are, we, using, are, are we robbing God if we withhold our tithes as New Testament Christians? Well, in 1 Corinthians 9, 12, notice what he says, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer or allow all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't know of any church, and I, I wouldn't want to go to this church, that goes and sends people bills for their tithes. Okay? Uh, I, I do know there's churches that do police it, and my question is always, how do they police it? Because, okay, if somebody's giving, do we check their pay stubs to make sure it was actually 10%? 
because that's weird. I wouldn't go to that church. You know, so, you know, I, I don't really know how, how that works exactly. But at the same time, think about this. If I was a plumber and I went to your house and you called me out to your house and I did the work and I sent you a bill and you didn't pay me, did you rob me? Okay. Now, legally, in our country too, I could go after you. I could put a lien on your house or something like that. Now, Paul said, we've not used this power over you. Okay? And I don't believe a church should use that power over people. I do not believe we should send bills and things like that. We're not going to use that power. We will suffer all things. In other words, we will allow you to rob us. <laughs> or For lack of a better term. But again, someone who refuses to participate in the things they are benefiting from, I believe are like able-bodied men who go on welfare. Again, again, here's because we will never enforce the tithe. We will never enforce giving or anything like that. Because again, there are people who, if they had to give, you know, they might not be in a situation position where they could come to church. They could be involved in the things of God. We want people involved. In the church, we want people involved in the things of God. We want them to fellowship with us. We want them to enjoy the eating with us. We want them to enjoy the work we do and the fun things we do. We want them to participate in all things. And if somebody just can't, I mean, we would be horrible to beat them up over that or to exclude them from things in the church. But at the same time, too, if somebody is capable, if somebody is able, shouldn't they be participating and aren't we, are, aren't we all repulsed by men who are able-bodied, who could be working, and are, but yet are on welfare? What are they doing, you know, benefiting from all these things when they're not participating? Shouldn't they be out there doing something? So again, uh, you know, I think, I think people like that say, well, they're not really thieves because it's legal. Well, they're scumbags. They're as bad as thieves. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. But again, that guy, you know, that person that's out there who's crippled, that person who's out there who just physically can't do things, I don't want that person to starve, and we shouldn't let that person starve. They should be able to enjoy things and and to live life to the best of their ability. And so the reality is, if we are if you are in a church and you are, if you are participating in the comfortable chairs, you're participating in the heat that that we enjoy and, and the you know all the things that are here. You ought, to, you ought to participate. You ought to communicate. So, well, how much is that? Well, again, it's as you purpose in your heart. It really is. It's as you purpose in your heart. And so this is just my personal belief, my personal practice. And as I say, I believe in the principle of the tithe as a baseline. That, that's what I believe in. For, for me personally, I have determined in my heart, I will always at least do that. That's just something I have purposed in my heart and I have practiced my entire life because I'm just convinced, you know, the tithe was around before the law and I believe it's something that, uh, you know, and I've, you know, the Lord's blessed as a result of doing these things. And so I do believe giving is something that's between individuals and the Lord and people should purchase in their heart to do something. And you, if you're not doing it willingly, you're doing it wrong. Again, I, I'm not twisting anybody's arm, but we should be giving to you know as a church. Second Corinthians eight one says, "Moreover, brethren, we do to 
We do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. These people were so poor, they were in deep poverty. Paul didn't even want their money. But they insisted, you take this. We want to participate. We want to minister to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. He's like, man, you all, you are abounding when it comes to all these spiritual things and you should abound in this grace also. You ought to be participating in this giving. You ought to be like this church that was given out of their deep poverty. But boy, they were, they were liberal when it came to their giving. And it's like, that, that's the one area we're allowed to be liberal is in our giving. And we, ought, we should be giving as individuals and, and we should be, uh, or uh, as, a, as a church, I believe it's good to give. And we ought to be, uh, you know, privately too. We ought to show generosity. I think, I think it's good for us as a church to come together and give towards something and fellowship in something that's going on somewhere. But again, as, as individuals too, we should always be on the lookout and looking for opportunities, whether it be to be in a help to somebody in our church, whether it be in a help even to someone in our community. You know, it's okay to help lost people too and to be a blessing to them. Just make sure too, you know, and, and the Bible talks about this. We're not going to go to the scriptures on it. But when we give to expecting nothing in return, many people give hoping they're making an investment on a friendship, you know, making an invest, you know, thinking, hey, if I give to them, they'll give back to me. That that can't be our attitude. When people give, what we should always do is forget about it. And you know what you should never do with somebody give to them, and then use it against them one of these days. If you do that, you didn't really give. You just kind of invested in them. I think we ought to be giving to people. I, you know, we knew there was a situation one time where somebody, you know, they had a child that died and people like donated to the funeral. And then a long time later, you know, this pastor got upset with the guy because he didn't go along with it for something. He like reminded him of like the $50 he had donated for his son's funeral. It's like... What in the world? It was only like 50 bucks too. Like what is, you don't do that. You don't remember when I get, listen, I've had preachers do, I had, I had a pastor do that with me after we went post trip. Now he didn't mean it, but he basically told me I should give him back all the support they gave us. And it's like, I thought you gave it. <laughs> it's like, and then I reminded him, too, about a missionary that we had supported for a long time out of his church that went full trendy and they had to get rid of. But I was like, so I want that money back. <laughs> if that's how we're, we're going to go. And I, the way I felt, we were kind of even. But either way, you got, we shouldn't do that kind of stuff. People that bring that up, they use it as a way to have power over people. That's, that's not really giving. We ought, we ought to give and then we ought to forget we did it. That's, that's, that's what true giving is. Now, if you give me enough money, I might let you guilt trip me with it. 
you know, but at the same, at the same time, that, uh, that's not right. And so we should, we should all strive, though, for financial liberty. It, we shouldn't, because again, giving is, you know, the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, every, everybody ought to have the goal and the desire of being generous. And most people think you have to be a millionaire to be generous. No, you don't. Again, I'm telling you right now, you know, like I, you know, it would be nice to be able to do like some large thing for somebody, but never underestimate the ability or, you know, the, or the impact of even like a $20 gift to somebody. Again, when it's, when it's unexpected, you know, something that the, the thought, it really does have a big impact. The fact that people notice what you're doing, it does, it really means a lot. It's really not about the $20. It's about that, hey, somebody is being blessed for what our church is doing. I mean, I'm thankful for, you know, our church often receives donations from other people. Sometimes they're really small ones. Ones that they might not, they're not going to change the course of this church, the amount of money that was given. But you know what? It encourages me to know, hey, you know, these people are being blessed by the ministry of this church. That encourages me. You know, you find out these people sometimes too, you know, they're, they're in other parts of the country, sometimes other countries. And that, that's encouraging. It's like, man, that's exciting that we live in a day where here from America, we can be a blessing to people anywhere in the world, you know, through the Internet and things like that. And just the fact that they'll do a little something like that, it, it encourages. It encourages me. And you know what? That little bit of encouragement that they gave, you know what? It does too. It motivates me to want to do more stuff on the online world, not for the money, but because I know it's reaching people. You know what's, you know what's discouraging about online stuff is when you put all this work to post stuff and nobody watches it. Nobody's helped by it. But when you find out people are being helped by it, encouraged by it, it's like, you know what? Let's keep putting that out there. Let's keep doing something with that. And so these little things that people do like that, it does. It shows another level of appreciation and it motivates motivates people like our church to just keep doing these things and more people are going to be reached more people are going to get saved and so we should all we should all strive for financial liberty we shouldn't do things that will bring us into financial bondage and we shouldn't operate our finances in a way where we're not able to do the things that god has written on our hearts to do and i know it's written on our hearts to be giving to communicate to participate in these things and so we, we need to always let that be a priority in our life so we don't get ourselves in bondage. So we don't go get that loan for that pontoon boat that we don't really need. You know, we, we really don't need that. And um, our, our financial liberty ought to be more important. Our ability to give and be a blessing ought to be more important. So hopefully this was a help. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord. I thank you so much for these passages of Scripture. I pray you'll help us to apply these things in our life. I pray you'll help us to have the right mentality and attitude and practices when it comes to giving in this church. I pray that we'll always keep our liberty as a church, as individuals. And I pray that you'll uh, help us to be a blessing to other churches and other ministries and other individuals out there who are doing the work of the Lord. And we thank you for them. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.